You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Thanks, team, for for leading us this morning. We're here because of Jesus. We lift his name and we, we want to order our lives around him and, and, and his priorities, the kingdom, because he saved us into this great life. There is this story in Acts chapter 17 where Paul and, Asil- and Silas, they stroll into the city of Thessalonica. It's, it's in northern Greece. And, and, and in the story in Acts 17, as they stroll into town, I picture in my mind a Western movie. Two strangers walking down the middle of a dusty road. You kind of see the picture of their legs and and, and the street they're walking on. And and the street's lined with these wooden buildings. (laughs) And as they walk into town, you see this tumbleweed roll across the street. (laughs) And people press their noses against the windows of of the saloon and and the windows of, of, of the general store just to get a glimpse of these two men walking through town. And verse 6 in Acts 17, in the New King James, captures their reaction. Someone in the crowd yells out, here comes these who have turned the world upside down. The Bible tells us that Paul was an unimpressive man. A legend has it that he was short, bald, and spoke with a squeaky voice. Silas, by all accounts, wasn't impressive either. His name means of the forest. He most likely wasn't an educated man or a metropolitan man, but an of the forest man. Yet when these two were rolling, people said, here come these who have turned the world upside down. And I wonder what what kind of power it takes to garner such a reputation. We're in this series called Let's Talk, and and today we're focused on power. And so the question arises, why pick power? Why speak on this topic? Well, there's three reasons, uh, I think. And I know I'm speaking fast because I got a lot to get through, (laughs) so bear with me. Why speak about power? First, because the misuse of power is the world's greatest source of problems. Would you agree? Think of Putin's war in, U- in Ukraine. Or the fundamentalist powers in Iran that are executing people because they're standing up for women's rights. Or militia groups in Haiti who, who fight for control. In their fight for control, they've paralyzed an entire country and people are dying of sickness. We need to talk about power because it's a source of the world's greatest problems. But not simply it's a source of problems out there. The second reason we need to talk about it is because sometimes we face the the problems of power in the most common spaces of our lives. Take the home, for instance. According to statistics, each night here in Canada... There are over 6,000 women and children who live or sleep in a shelter because it's unsafe for them to go to their own home. And sometimes this misuse of power, it's more subtle than that. It might be a spouse uh, that you live with who controls all of the finances. 
or, or, or a parent that, that takes out their frustration on the child. We face these misuses of power in our homes, but we also face them in, in our workplaces. Right? The Me Too movement has shone the spotlight on what many women in the workplace have had to face at the hands of men in powerful positions. But it's not simply women who face this destructive power dynamics in the workplace. There's lots of us, lots of you, who have these egotistical bosses. I don't have one. But actually, I've spoken with many of our people, many of my friends in town. They've got these egotistical bosses who misuse their power. There's nepotism and racism and, and favoritism and, and sexism. And the misuse of power, it happens in schools as well, doesn't it? And students, you know this well. Grade nines have more power than grade sevens. And you can feel it in the hallways. There's this hierarchy of power that, that sometimes is hostile. Bullying, harassment, shaming on social media, they are all misuses of power. And then there's the church. History, past and present, is rife with abuses of power in the body of Christ. Sex scandals, money scandals, abuse scandals, cover-up scandals. And it's in every flavor of the church, from Catholic to Reformed to Charismatic, Jean Vanier, Bill Hybels, Bruxy Cavey, Ravi Zacharias, Jesus, have mercy on us. See, we need to talk about power because we feel its effects in the most common spaces of our life, in the home, at work, in school, and even in the church. But the third reason we need to talk about power is, is because power is actually something that Jesus promises to give us. In Acts 1, 8, we read Jesus' last promise to his disciples, which extends to us. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. You see, we need to talk about power not simply because it's a potential cause of harm, but because it's actually a fundamental part of what it means to be God's people in this world, to be followers of Jesus, to be Christian. Before I get into all that, I need to say something really important. I need to say that, that this morning I am speaking from, uh, I'm speaking about power from a position of power myself. And this is important to say, important to recognize, and I hope we'll see a little bit why in just a moment, but, but my understanding of power, what I understand about it, and, and how it functions in the world, these power dynamics, they come from my experience in the world as an affluent, educated white man. This isn't, uh, there's nothing wrong with this. It's just the reality. My understanding of power comes from my experience in the world. I've been watching this show on Crave TV. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's called Little Bird. It's a story of an indigenous family in Canada whose children were taken from them in the 60s scoop. It's a historical piece. 
And in episode one of the show, there's this moment where, where the authorities pick up these two young indigenous children for, for throwing a rock at their car. And so they force the children into the police car and ask where their mother is. And when they arrive at the mother's home, at the family's home, the mother sees them and she grabs one of the children and tells them all to run. And she begins to run into the field. She's afraid for her safety. She's afraid that, that her children will be taken away like other children whom she has known. And, and I gotta say that as I was watching this scene, I thought, why are you running? <laughs> You're making things worse. Why don't you just calm down and explain the situation to the authorities? I'm sure they'll understand. But here's the thing. Because of my upbringing, because of my experience in the world, I am predisposed to think that the authorities will listen to me and believe what I have to say. But the woman depicted in the show, she grew up with a whole different set of rules when it comes to the powers that be. Her relationship with, with these powers is vastly different than mine, and so she runs. And all of this is to say that I am speaking about power as a person with a high degree of power in our culture and in our society and in our world. And because of that, mark this, because of that, my insights are limited. We would do well to listen to the voices that don't have as much power, uh, that don't have as much power because these voices have a great deal to teach us if we're willing to listen. And on that, uh, if you're interested to hear one of those voices, I want to point you to a book called Jesus and the Disinherited. This is one of the most important books that I have ever read, and it was written in the 50s. It's by Howard Thurman. I encourage you to that, and I'll put a link to that on the website. Okay, so let me begin our conversation with four observations. And, and as these observations come, there's a, there's a number on the screen. You can text in your questions. Maybe they will, will pique a question for us to discuss uh, at the end of our time. So first, observation one. There are different kinds of power in the world. Let me name a few. There is what I'm calling hereditary power. Now, this is the power that we have, but we actually do nothing to achieve. That's why I'm calling it hereditary power. This is where the idea of privilege comes in. It's the kind of power that we have by virtue of things like where you're born in the world, or your ethnicity, or the wealth of your parents, or even your gender. Uh, an example uh, is, you know J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, who wrote The Lord of the Rings? Uh, amazing books. People love them. Well, in, in 2022, J.R. Tolkien, uh, earned, like he made $50 million in 2022. I'm oh, sorry, it was $500 million. <laughs> That's a lot of money. The problem for J.R.R. Tolkien was he had been dead for 49 years at that point. <laughs> and so the question is, who, who gets the money? <laughs> who receives uh, the money in this situation? Will, will the royalties in part go to his, his family members, to to his son and his daughter and, and their children and, and, and the extended family. And the point is that, that there is a benefit that, that this family receives through royalties that had nothing to do with their own achievements. It was handed down to them. And this is what hereditary power is like. It's, it's, it's the kind of power that we, we have, but we, we do nothing to achieve. And this is where privilege fits in. Another kind of power is the, the power of title. 
There are certain titles that, that give us a, a certain authority, like, like maybe a doctor or, or a lawyer or, or a PhD in some area. We can go to university and we can, we can obtain more of the power that these titles offer. But there are other titles too, like mom or dad. They carry a power. Right? Or prime minister or president, they carry a power. Or ninth grader or seventh grader, they carry a power. And simply having the title, it gives you a degree of power in a certain area of life. We need to be aware of that. Then there's economic power. This is the power that comes with money. It's pretty self-explanatory. Another power is physical power. It's the power of force. I remember a few years ago that I challenged one of our board members, Gary Sheik, to an arm wrestle. And now the problem is I have these arms, uh, but Gary has the arms of a young Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> he has more physical power, and that's what this power refers to, but, but it's not simply an individual's physical power. It can be, it can be a, a military's or a country's physical power. They can use their power to impose their strength upon other people. It's physical power. Two more. Institutions also have power. Institutions, institutional power is the kind of authority that institutions have over people who are connected to those institutions. And so governments and churches, they're two examples of institutional powers. But so is science. And throughout the COVID crisis, maybe you remember, we heard this, this phrase about evidence-based decision-making for public health. It's an important uh, thing to understand. This was an appeal to the institutional power of science. There's institutional powers. And now the last category of power that I, I want to draw your attention, I'm sure that I've missed one or two little, little trinkets here, but, but the last category of power is what I'm calling personal or, or spiritual power. And I put it at the bottom of this chart because I think that it is, that it is the most fundamental and important of all the other powers. In fact, I think it directs all the other powers. You see, all the other powers here, they're external, but this one is internal. This is the power that we have as individuals to make decisions, to decide how we order our lives. Some have called this the power of agency. And one example of this power is that all of us have the power to forgive someone who has hurt us. That can be a powerful thing. Or we have the power to say no to something that we don't want. And now, all of this in my first observation, I really want to make it simple. I simply am trying to say here that there are different kinds of power that we need to consider in our conversation. And if we are ever going to follow Jesus in his way of using power, we need to let him lead us in every one of these categories. It's not enough for us simply to say, I, I follow Jesus with my physical power, and, and that's the reason I don't go around town punching people out. And we don't do that because we've surrendered our, our physical power to Jesus. We know that, but it's not enough simply to give him that category of power. We need to let him lead us in all of these categories. We need to learn what it means to follow Jesus with our power of, of privilege and with the titles that we hold and with the money that we have 
and so on and so forth. That's the first thing. Observation two. Not everyone has the same amount of power. There are power imbalances. The chart should make this clear. Not everyone has the same uh, hereditary power. Not everyone has the same titles or, or, or the same economic status or, or, or the same physical stature or the same institutional powers because institutions tend to have a few at the top and many at the bottom. Not everyone has the same amount of power. Power imbalances are not the exception to the rule. Rather, they're the world's reality. We need to observe this. Some people have more power than others. And here's the thing. We need to see this if we're ever going to use our own power appropriately. It's absolutely necessary. We we need to see where there are power imbalances. In fact, I want to submit submit to you that seeing power imbalances was one of Jesus' great strengths. He could sniff out a power imbalance from a mile away. And when he did, he always seemed to know what to do in that situation, didn't he? Not everyone has the same amount of power. Observation three, having power itself is not the problem. Rather, the problem is how that power is used. None of these kinds of powers in this list, they're wrong or bad or corrupt, none of them. For instance, you can have great physical power like Gary Sheik, and that's a fine thing, but... But what matters most is how you use that power. You see, the same power can be used either to protect or to destroy, to care for or to harm. And all power works this way. Institutions, they can actually help people, but they also can harm. And economic powers, we can use our money uh, to to help people or to harm people. And so can banks and and the institutions that hold economic power. And your privilege, even. It can be used to help people or to perpetuate and keep people in harmful situations. You could say it this way. That power is neutral, but the people who use it most certainly are not. That's the third observation. Fourth, human beings, we have this tendency to use power for our own benefit, sometimes at the expense of others. This is a big one. And because of this, I simply want to say at this moment that that because of this tendency in us, we need accountability for the power that we have. It's absolutely necessary. In fact, most of the abuses of power are because there are no layers of accountability. And so four observations. They're pretty straightforward and simple, and hopefully they stir some questions for our conversation on practically what this looks looks like lived out. But but in light of these complexities, I I, want to take a moment to, to look at Jesus and consider what he teaches us or what he shows us about having power and how we are to use it. The scriptures, first and foremost, they teach us that Jesus was the most powerful person to ever walk the earth, right? Not only was he fully human, he he was fully God. We're told in the scripture that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and that God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. And yet, 
the most radical thing about Jesus wasn't that he was the most powerful person to ever walk the earth, but rather it's how he chose to exercise his vast power. Philippians 2 tells the story. It says, Jesus, being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. The word here is he poured himself out. And taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you hear what true power is supposed to look like? Jesus didn't consider the power he possessed as something to be used for himself. The whole of human history turns on this one phrase, church. Jesus used power not for himself, but for people in need. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for us. We were powerless to pay our debt of sin, but Jesus used his power to pay it on our behalf. This is the story of the cross. We see that Jesus has poured out his power for us on the cross. But he pours out that same power for the woman who bursts into the dinner party of a religious leader and pours perfume on his feet. You remember that story from last week? It's the same power. Jesus uses his status to restore this woman's honor and to forgive her sin. It's what Jesus did for, for all the people that he healed. It's what he did for all the people that he fed. It's what he did when he touched a leper whom no one would touch. And it's what he did when he spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well that no one would speak to. It's what he did when he turned the tables in the temple, calling out a religious spirit in the religious institution. Jesus used his power to serve those whose power paled in comparison. They were powerless. And church, this is the kind of power that the world deeply needs. A power that refuses to serve its own self-interest but rather serves those in need. A power that's willing to take responsibility for the well-being of others. That's true power. It's the power that Jesus models for us. And that's the first thing I want us to see about Jesus and the way he used power. He takes responsibility for the well-being of others. With his power, he serves people. He is the model. But secondly, we need to know that, that Jesus has done something to, to give us his Holy Spirit in order to, to, to give us the power that we need to live in his power, if that makes sense. Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit to help us use the power that we have in the same way that he uses the power he has. Second Peter 1.3, it's key text, it says this. God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. God's divine power has given us everything that we need to live 
and exercise the power that Jesus has entrusted us with in a way that looks like Jesus. God's given us his divine power, the Spirit, so we might use our power in the same manner he did. The point is, Jesus isn't simply the model of Christian power. He is the means by which we exercise that power in the world. Church, unless each one of us surrenders all of the categories on the power list to the Holy Spirit, unless we surrender these categories to his power, we will never use our own power in the, in the way God intends us to use it. But let me add one more piece. What I'm saying here is that Christian power is about being responsible for another person's well-being, but it's also about being accountable to other people. Because all human power needs accountability because we're inclined to abuse it. Or, or maybe a little uh, more often the case, we simply don't see how our power affects other people. We don't see how it negatively affects the people around us. And so as, as Jesus following people, we need and we should search out accountability for the power that we have. Isn't that true? I mean, that we, we should submit ourselves to authorities. We, we should be seeking out accountability for, for the power that we hold to be held on track, for, for the church to come alongside and say, this is the way, <laughs> but you've stepped out of it. We need accountability. So here's the tagline to remember. If you remember only one thing about power this morning, may it be this. Write it down, ponder it, pray through it in the week. Test to see if it's true. Here's the tag. Christian power is responsible for others and accountable to others. Christian power is responsible for others, for their well-being, and it's accountable to others. And I believe that if we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into that way of using power, then I think we're on the right track. In a moment, uh, Michelle is going to come up and we're going to take some questions, but I want to close my, my talk here in the next few minutes with returning to the scene of these two unimpressive men, Paul and Silas, as they're rolling into town. <laughs> And these noses pressed up against the window who look out on them walking down the street and someone in the crowd calls out, here come those who have turned the world upside down. What power did the people there that day see in Paul and Silas to evoke such a reputation? Well, the scriptures tell us. It's in the chapter before in Acts 16. They had been in the city of Philippi. And we're told that in the city of Philippi, Paul and Silas, they were there for a while, and they would walk every day through the middle of town to the edge of town to go to a place to pray. And each day that they were there, they were met by a slave girl who had a spirit that could predict the future. This is a wild story. And every day they would walk through town and this slave girl would, would come uh, to them. And, and, and her owners, the owners of this girl, they made a lot of money off of this girl's skills, right? As a fortune teller. 
I mean, talk about power dynamics taking place here. Power is everywhere in this story. Well, each day, this slave girl would would follow Paul and Silas, and, and she'd follow behind and say, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. I mean, talk about getting free advertising from a local celebrity. It's ridiculous. But we're told in the Scripture that, that after many days of this, Paul is fed up. He's done with it. He's not done with the girl. He's fed up with the abuse of power that is taking place in this situation. A slave girl enslaved by both owner and evil spirit. And so Paul casts the spirit out and he sets her free. Talk about power. Power that serves another. A power that that sets people free. But at this point, her owners get angry, right? Do you remember the story if you've ever heard it? Her owners get angry. Why? (laughs) Because now their business is ruined. No enslaved girl means no money, means no economic power. And so they call the magistrates, the ones with with title and, and the ones who sit at the top of this institutional power. And the magistrates come and they gather Paul and Silas together and they're ordered to be stripped and beaten with physical power. And then they're put in jail with a bunch of other prisoners. (laughs) And I suspect Paul knew this was all going to happen the moment he used his power to set the girl free. And you know what happens next? There they are in the dark of night, in chains, in the cell bruised and bloodied and in that moment paul and silas they decide to host a prayer and worship evening (laughs) they begin to sing praises to jesus talk about power and as they do the the other prisoners begin to lean in they're drawn in to this power And then this powerful earthquake shakes the prison. You remember the story. The the chains are loosened. The doors fling off the prison. And and when the jailer comes to, he he sees that the prison doors are open and and, and the the shackles are are cast off to the side. And and the prisoners, he he thinks they've all escaped. And so what he does is he draws his sword in order to take his own life because that's what honor would require if a Roman soldier had lost, a Roman guard had lost a prisoner. But then he hears Paul's voice call out, don't do it. We're all still here. Notice all of the prisoners were still there. The thieves and the dishonest and all manner of unseemly people who would have been in the prison, they were all still there. Not one of them ran the moment they got the chance. And I think it's because they knew they were in the presence of real power in chains with Paul and Silas. See, that's what happens when we use the power, our power, the Jesus way. People are drawn in. They they feel safe. It's the kind of power that that works for the good of another person. The kind of power that would even call out to save the life of their enemy captor. And so, 
It's not simply the prisoners who are drawn into this power, it's the jailer too. Because the moment his life is spared, he asks Paul and Silas, how can I have this power too? Tell me what what I must do to be saved. It's a remarkable story. And church, this is what true power looks like. The power that Jesus has showed us, the power that the Holy Spirit makes possible in our lives, it is a power that frees the oppressed, a power that calls out injustice, a power that's able to suffer at the hands of other powerful people. It's a power that sings in the dark and gives hope to the hopeless. It's a power that loves its enemies. That kind of power turns the world upside down. May it be so in us. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, as as we consider this topic, we want to acknowledge that talk is cheap. But your Holy Spirit can take words and grow fruit. And so lead us, we pray, as we continue in this conversation on power. Build your church so that we might be the church in every sense of the word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for uh, bearing with me there. Uh, Michelle and I are going to just reset the stage. Uh, And as we do, uh, let me uh, invite you to send in, thanks, Michelle, to send in your your questions that you have. um, uh, And uh, as we continue our conversation, we're going to take the next little, little bit of time here. Um, and so I've, I've invited uh, Michelle to kind of join me uh, here uh, for a, a few reasons. Uh, one, because uh, Michelle is uh, one of the pastors on staff. We work together. Uh, and so this is, your, this is your chance to say what you want about power uh, dynamics in the church. He is so good to well, work with. Well, my goodness me. That's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't even know what to, I'm not even going to respond. Bless you, Michelle. Hey, we, we, it's great to, to, to be in a, a good, healthy, working environment uh, together with one another that we build together along with the other staff. But the other reason that Michelle is here also is that uh, Michelle is a certified conflict resolution specialist uh, and actually is hired by a number of churches and, and not just churches, but other organizations to come and help them navigate power dynamics. Uh, and so, uh, so really great to, to have you as part of our panel. And so, uh, Michelle, when I often do some teaching, I'm like flying at 3,000 foot. Can you bring things down to uh, ground level here? Uh, and I have a question, uh, and it's this. How can a, a person begin to notice their own power uh, and, then, um, uh, and, and the power imbalances that, that we often have when it comes to other people? That's a good question, because we don't know what we don't know. And I think the first thing, I think you've already alluded to it, Keith, but ask God to help you begin to see your power, where it shows up, how it shows up, how do people react to you, and when. And then ask him to give you eyes to understand what's going on. If you have trusted people around you, ask them to help point out when power is being displayed so that you can begin to see it. Because we, we can't move forward in navigating it if we're not even aware that it's there. So I think that's a practical way. And I think for those who 
feel less power or have felt powerless, begin to notice, this is for both, but begin to notice where you feel the power dynamic. Like when you get triggered, when something happens, you feel it somewhere in your body. You might have a knot in the pit of your stomach. You might get sweaty on the back of your neck. Maybe your palms get clammy. When that reaction happens to you, ask the question, what's happening here? Why am I being triggered? What's important? Those are important things for us to take note of, and it's the beginning stages of beginning to recognize power. Okay. Um, Michelle, another question here. What, what are some practical steps that someone can take when there is an imbalance of, of power? Again, I think one of our biggest allies is self-awareness. So what we already started, begin to notice, begin to ask God to help you see. So I think self-awareness is a really big one. Um, I think also situational awareness. Begin to look outward rather than just noticing what you're, not even noticing what you're doing, but be aware of the reaction that people have to you. If people step back or if they stop talking or things, you're probably exuding power. Um, one, actually, somebody from our church who is a nursing instructor at UBC has said that when you, when you find yourself telling somebody what to do, you are exuding power. Think of how often we do that with our kids, with giving instructions to someone. That is use of power. So just becoming aware, self-aware is important. Situational awareness is also important. What's happening in the dynamics around you? And then as Keith has been talking this morning, Jesus' way, the kingdom way of using power is being other-focused. And so those that have power really have a responsibility to care for those that have less power. And those that have less power have a responsibility to be able to make known your need. It's not wrong to say, I'm uncomfortable here. I need to step away. If you feel unsafe, that's okay. And it's important. Those are some of the things I think that can help us. Yeah, that's great. Um, uh, a question that's come in here, um, uh, it's, I'm just going to read it outright. Uh, it says, the human rights movement globally is an attempt at realigning power structures, returning power back to individuals who have historically been deprived of their basic rights. How would Jesus respond to this movement, and how should we in turn respond? That's a good question. A very good question. Do you want, what I do you think? I want to think about it for you a second. Think? You want to think? Okay, sure. Yeah, I can, I'll fumble my way through this one. Um, yeah, I, th I think, uh, you know, um, a really well put, just summary of the uh, human rights uh, movement, trying to realign power structures. So uh, how would Jesus respond? Uh, you know, I think that, you know, Jesus would respond in, in, in acts of love and encouragement and, and all of these things, and strength, of course. Um, so, I mean, hard for me to kind of answer how Jesus would respond, but here's, here's what, what I think about these things from a lens where I'm trying to think, okay, Jesus, I'm putting on lenses that I think you see the world in. Um, Jesus was the greatest at this. Like, he, he, he is the world's leader in, uh, in, in realigning power. Although, here's, here's the tricky thing. 
Um, sometimes we think that, that power is the problem, um, but power is inevitable, right? Uh, and I think the reality in our world is there will always be power imbalances. And so I've thought a lot this week, I've tried to pray and think a lot this week is, okay, what's the goal, Lord? Is the goal to have equality of power where everyone has the same power? Maybe, I don't know, maybe that is, is the reality. Or is, is it the situation, the goal is when those who have more power than others, that they're using their power to lift others up, right? I think that that's just, it's almost a natural way of looking at human relationships, right? If you, if you have a friend who's hurting and you're not hurting, you're maybe in a, a better place emotionally, you've got more emotional power, you come alongside them, you lift them up because they need that. Uh, and so, uh, so I, think that, I think that that's an important thing for us to think about when it comes to our own lives. How can you use your power to lift other people up? Whether that's a balancing of power, I don't know. I think the reality is some people just are, are always going to maybe be in a position where they have less power. Uh, that's a real practical answer. However, this idea that, that Jesus uh, kind of would be, would be applauding or, or leaning into movements that are, um, that are seeing power kind of redistributed where it can be, yes. I mean, if we remember what Jesus said in the text that you read at the beginning, you know, this idea that in the kingdom, it's, it's the first who are actually last. <laughs> and what does that mean? Well, could it be that it's the people who have power, the ones who, who are submitting themselves to those who don't? And that's what true power looks like. Um, so that you get this whole idea of the caste system in India and the Dalit people who are actually outside of the caste. They're not even part of it. They're seen as subhuman. Uh, that's a problem that Jesus would, would ferociously go after uh, because it, it's degrading the power of the human individual who is made in God's image. Uh, and so, uh, so, yeah, sorry, I could go. I, I'm just talking in circles now, Michelle. I think the other thing to recognize is just, again, we come to this kingdom perspective of power compared to human perspective of power. And I think there's sometimes in human rights, there we need the voice. And I think sometimes the pendulum has to swing far one way to be able to come to center. At the same time, the danger of any of us in whatever movement or situation we're in, it becomes so self-focused that we get harsh in our perspective towards it. So even in that, we need Jesus because he does see the healthy way in and through those things. Great. Um, how can we trust institutions like the church or government uh, when we have seen so many abuses of power? That's a hard one, and I lament um, just the voice of the church because of the pain that we've caused. Mm -hmm. And I think it's living it out. And it's not just the living it out from those who are paid or on staff at the church. But we, as a body of Christ, have the responsibility and the right to honor and care for others. And what Keith has been saying this morning, we are the ones responsible to use our power to come under the powerless, to lift them up, to be accountable with how we treat each other and treat others. And sometimes the most loving thing we can do is call it out when we see unhealth in each other. That's not being negative or critical. It's actually what we need to do as the body of Christ. Yeah, yeah and, and I would say trust is earned. So don't ever trust blindly. Um, I, like really, I, when it comes to... to a church institution or, or any institution, we, we have a, a head on our shoulder 
and we can have a radar for abuses of power. And so don't ever trust blindly. Don't ever, you know, even trust the leadership of a local church blindly. Uh, we need to have our, our radar on for, for these things because uh, often at times people within uh, the pews of a church know when something is going wrong in the leadership of a church uh, long before it's ever spoken. You can feel it. And so I would say don't trust blindly. But the other thing I would say about our relationship with institutions, look, institutions are, are, are made up of people. Uh, and so when it comes to our relationship, let's say, with a church, really our relationship is with the people who make up the church. And, and we can get close to people. We can kind of, you know, this is a crass image, but we can kind of sniff them. <laughs> and we can see if there's like a power, abuse of power. Like we can get close enough to, to have a sense of who they are in their own home life. Uh, and so I think that having, understanding that institutions are made up of people uh, and coming to trust the people in those institutions is a step we can do to, to regain trust. Right, uh, and I think that that's one of the greatest things. I know many of you face questions about, okay, well, how can you be part of a church? Because you know, church is so, so much part of the stuff in the world. And often, your response is, well, but I'm not like that, right? And that there's power in that. That is the truth. Uh, and you know, and I think we can go even further, and we can say we need to hold churches and church leaders and politicians accountable for abuses of power. We don't hide them, you know, and that's the great tragedy in some of the, the scandals of the past. They, they've been swept under the rug. But power is held accountable, and the church can get behind that and say, hey, yes, people should be held accountable. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, sorry. Um, okay. Um, uh, here's a quick one. I want to uh, read it. Uh, it says, although the church, and I'll maybe answer it if that's okay. I'm just going to roll. Uh, although the, the, this church has brought women into the board, the, the, the Christian Missionary Alliance has many churches uh, who don't uh, have women in senior ministry positions, pastors, district superintendents, board members. Uh, what's being done about that? Uh, maybe a little clarity on this. Uh, women can serve at the highest level of the Christian Missionary Alliance. There's nothing precluding a woman from being our district superintendent. Uh, uh, or, um, uh, or, or, or the president of the alliance. Uh, and so, but there are some churches that have chosen an, uh, what we call a complementarian model uh, to their governance. That's a very long conversation to have, and I'd love to have it. Uh, maybe we do that at another Let's Talk, but um, I, I think it's an important matter. Um, but let me say this, uh, is a, a generous way of saying it. Even if a church has chosen a particular way of governing, it doesn't mean that power is being abused, but it certainly means that there is a huge imbalance of power, okay? And I'm being careful here. Uh, we need wisdom, uh, and I'm trying to hold the unity of the church with people I disagree with, <laughs> because I believe that women should be able to serve at all levels of the church. And so, uh, anyways, I'd love to have a follow-up conversation with anyone that wants to have that. Uh, do you want to say anything about that? That seemed like really controlling, uh, but uh, you're so gracious. Maybe I will just say that at living my life as an international worker globally, I never really faced off with the dynamic of women in ministry. It was only coming back to Canada that I noticed more that it was an issue in some places. So it's just interesting to me. Yeah, it's a local church issue, not a missions issue, which should give us reason to pause and think. 
Uh, so, yeah, bless you in that. Uh, on the subject of indigenous reconciliation and the past misuse of church power, how do I, as a white Christian, directly respond to people of indigenous descent or non-Christians as well? Uh, maybe a, a similar question, but maybe... I don't think this would just be with regards to indigenous. And if you weren't here last week, take a listen online to uh, Mark and Cheryl Buchanan, who were here with us talking about truth and reconciliation. But this is a broader uh, category. If I can give you a word that helps us navigate power, that helps us navigate conflict, that helps us navigate so many things, it's get curious. Don't assume you know. Don't assume you understand. Don't assume you have the answers. Begin to honestly and genuinely get curious and ask. That's how we learn. And that Jesus models a way of humility and service. And I think that posture of curiosity helps us to model that and live that out as well. Yeah. Um, similar question. Uh, the, these questions are great. Uh, how, how can marginalized voices be heard in a context where some voices are privileged? Uh, do we have ears to listen, and are there platforms where those voices can safely come to the surface? I think it takes a lot of courage, and I really admire people who have felt powerless, who are willing and courageous enough to speak. And when we do have people like that in our midst, we need to listen, especially those of us who have more power and recognize it. Listen. And learn from those who come forward and speak. And if they don't come forward and speak, let's be asking. Let's be growing in our understanding of how to care well for people who live with less power. Um, there are ways, even those that feel the lack of power, there are ways that you can come forward maintaining safety and maintaining a place and a posture that doesn't put you in danger but it's called reframing, learning to say things, knowing what you want to say, saying it in a way that is neutral and non-judgmental, and it invites a conversation, and it doesn't put up a wall. So I, I am thankful for those of you who are willing to come forward when there is a power imbalance, and I recognize it takes a lot of courage. And on the other side, I think we need to be so much more careful to listen well. Yeah, and, and I would say to this question that many uh, marginalized uh, groups actually are speaking um, through books, uh, through media, through whatever. Um, uh, and so it's, so it's not that there isn't a voice. Right? And maybe this is kind of a, a, a new movement within our, our context, but I think that the issue is sometimes we're just we're, we're not hearing the voice. Um, so, so I think that there are ways. So this is about recognizing a power imbalance and then being able to kind of give, you know, give opportunity for people to, to speak who don't normally speak. Um, and so, yes, we, we need to pay attention to that. But I think what I'm trying to put my finger on is there are voices that are speaking. Sometimes we're just not listening to them. Uh, and we need to we need to pay attention to that, right? Like, and you know, at the risk of kind of maybe ruffling feathers, I remember a number of years ago, you know, the hashtag Black Lives Matter. It became a political agenda, 
but really the impetus was uh, of, of black people you know, across North America that were saying, hey, like, look, nobody's listening to, to the plight of what we're facing. Uh, and it became this politicized thing. Uh, and, uh, and, and the reality is there's voices that are saying, hey, there's a problem, and we're, we're facing it, we're feeling it, and is anyone listening? And so let's listen. I mean, it's something that the church can do. We don't need to get into the whole politics. Let's get into the humanity of it. That, that's the important thing. There's a humanity piece here. And so I think that there are ways that we can listen. And, and let me say this as well. Sometimes when, when our power is challenged, people in power react. So even using the word privilege, or even me calling myself white, for some of you in this room, that, you might have had a reaction to that. You might have felt like, like you described, this kind of tingling, this kind of visceral reaction, because you think, well, why does he have to say that? Pay attention to that feeling. Uh, because actually what is, ha is happening is some of you, the power that you have is maybe being challenged or confronted, and we don't like that. <laughs> Nobody likes that. But let's just name it uh, and sort of say, okay, Lord, what do, you, what do you want us to do? What are you trying us to pay attention to here? What does humility look like? What does the way of Christ look like? Um, and so I think that's a way we can pay attention to those things. So, so some, some great questions here. I just, as I was asking the Lord what he might want to say, to us this morning as it relates to power dynamic. He took me to the verse, and I don't have the reference with me right now, but take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. You want to pray for us? Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you are our model. <laughs> you do this so well. You encounter, you confront, you reveal, not to condemn, but to heal. You give way, you restore, and you make right what is not right. You right-wise things for kingdom purposes. And Lord, we pray that we would be able to be kingdom lovers, that we would model your way, that we would begin to recognize and identify our uses of power and be able to use them to bless, to care for, to restore, and help us be accountable when we do have that imbalance of power, that we use it in a way that honors you. Thank you for teaching us this morning. Go with us as we go into the week and into the day and into those situations that trigger us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.